Welcome to the Saving Podcast number four. We are a company on a mission to enable online citizens to withstand today's mass surveillance so everybody can reclaim their privacy and enjoy cyber freedom. It is the place where you can take part of this venture, of our venture, and be more hands-on with the company. We hope to give you a good glimpse of what is going on behind the scenes. Uh, feel free to join our Reddit at slash rsafing and contribute and give us your input. Today's topic and today's guest is both a new thing. Um, I welcome Daniel, co well, founder or co-founder of Safing. Hey there. So I'm really excited to be here for the first time um, on this podcast. I've listened to yeah. the first two episodes, which were great, and now I'm you're the first time on record. Yeah, that's so fun. That's I'm looking that's forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> that's really exciting. So, who are you, and what is your role in the comp company? Just really short. Okay, um, really short. Well, um, so I've started this out a couple years ago. Um, and poo, uh, like, what do you do? <laughs> so my my role is kind of tech, is the technical lead of development. So um, my responsibility is to um, get Portmaster and Gate Seventeen going, and release them as soon as possible. Yeah. And um, I'm the lead developer for these products, and. Yeah, nice. That's what I mainly do. I do have a couple other um, responsibilities within the company, but I mainly focus on development. Yeah, that's the main point. And I guess we'll have time to look into the story of yours as well in a later episode. Yeah, definitely. But today we will be talking about how to evaluate a business. And we will focus on the perspective of a privacy uh, enthusiast. But we will start out uh, generically, like how in the real world, like in quotes, the real world, uh, does a company survive and how does a company make lots of money? That's the main question. So I think I'll just quickly introduce this and say, of course, the two main factors I see, you can feel free to add other ones, but it's a company needs to make money. And mm -hmm. it does this best by having knowledge and having know-how. So if you produce a product that nobody else can produce and people like it, there's a demand for it. When you're the only seller, you can be sure to cash out a lot of money. So that's just some basic supply and demand. And when like, you have this uh, let's say it's a soft drink and everybody likes it and later on you see competitors popping out of the uh, getting out of nowhere and when everybody makes the same product as you the supply is uh, the demand is satisfied and your product loses value because everybody can do it so what do companies nowadays do to protect themselves from copycats? Well, I guess the main thing is just to, to be constantly better. And that's also what copycats do, is they copy something and try to be better at that at as the company they copied from. So we, we can especially see that with a lot of big companies too, that they copy new ideas from new companies and... Um, just make it better because they have more funds to throw at it. How how do you make something better? Well, that that's the good question. <laughs> um, well, it depends on on I guess the <clears throat> um, certain circumstances, like what kind of type of product it is. Um, mostly better just means cheaper, and that is what we're seeing, especially with. A lot of Chinese manufacturers who are really good at um, copying new things and their expertise is the manufacturing process so they can um, churn out these products way more quickly than the original company and then they saturate the market before the original company even gets to sell their first product. 
So it's it's you're bringing a good point by saying it's it's making it something cheaper adds value to, as well, because making it cheaper means make, uh, being able to under undersell your co competitor. So that gives you a big advantage if it is the same product. So, but even if it if the product is is less in quality, people most people don't care. They're like, huh, I can get this for a third of the price. Have the quality, I'll buy it. So that that's one one part where, um, like the the whole copycat thing is really difficult for businesses. And what they do to protect themselves is to make to somehow protect um, not the product itself, but the way the knowledge about how to produce the product. So, in terms of uh, physical products, this is. Um, this includes like adding um, or building a product that is difficult to produce and difficult to, to copy. So you so, need some special expertise, you need special um, experts to design, build and produce the product. So let's take an ordinary item like a chair. So it has, like a chair is, can be very basic and I guess if it's only the if it only has the basic functionality, then it's just about manufacturing costs and yeah, making exactly. it as cheap as possible. Like you could then have a good wood and it would be more expensive or you just throw it out cheaply. But how would then this knowledge or making it more complex make it more safe from being copied? Like could you give the, uh, put give that example uh, from a chair perspective? From a chair perspective, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll try. Um, so I'd say with a chair, huh? Um, well, things you can do is um, it just I think with with something that simple, um, you you will start selecting your target group, so you won't be getting all the, the people who just want a really cheap chair, but you want to be targeting people who want something more fancy or, or long-lived or for a special situation. You could also so, go to the office chairs. Maybe that is easier, but or continue with the normal chair. Okay. Whatever. So, so I guess with something that simple as a chair, um, you'd have to focus on a special market and... Mm -hmm. um, make a chair that's, that's special for some kind of use case. For example, an office chair that is made for um, uh, sitting very long on it, um, that's more comfortable, that is quiet, doesn't squeak all the time, um, things like that. And then you have your expertise is all, in all these details and sometimes also in the material you use. So, you may have access to materials that your competitor doesn't have. So you may have access to um, like local materials that your competitor won't be able to get as, as easily. Mm -hmm. And I guess with the added complexity, like having uh, adjusting the height of the chair or of the arms or... Yes, exactly. Yeah, all, yeah. all that stuff will be a lot harder to just copy because... As, as an example, we as a business, we would want to have good office chairs and not the ones who are broken like one year in. So, exactly. So exactly. we value quality, we yeah. value because it's, it makes sense from a business perspective. Yeah. So, so we are in that sense a special target group mm -hmm. that you would target. So I think whenever you, you have competitors, you have to discern yourself from them by by either by so by having an advantage in your target group, which means either um, gaining an advantage by innovating or changing your target group to something else than your competitors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. I think to sum this up, it's it's like you make money by having knowledge and by reducing the manufacturing costs. And even by adding complexity to it, because 
it adds obstacles for competitors to just copy exactly. and beat you at the manufacturing part. Yeah. So if you're not specialized manufacturing cheaply, then you have to add complexity. So I want to shift to the digital world now. And uh, so does, does it work the same with digital goods just as it does with physical goods? I think the digital world is, is, has some different um, aspects to it, especially because the manufacturing process is really different. So you have, it's a lot more um, complex and time consuming to like create the prototype and the sense of like doing the innovation and the engineering and the manufacturing is just copying a file. So the manufacturing, in the sense of now looking at software companies, um, the manufacturing process is like non-existent. You only have the engineering process. So the, the shift from protecting your product is, has, is a bit different to, to the physical world. It's interest, interesting to look at it, it's at that way, since the digital manufacturing process is just copying a file. So you have like exponentially towards zero costs um, for copying a product. So like well, yes, yes and no. Um, with a chair, you, if you do it really good, you can design a chair and just build it and there of course there will be minor tweaks you have to do um to to like respond to common failures in the market uh, with that customer's experience um and in the digital world with software you do actually have more maintenance so so you have additional to to the initial creation of the product for software product you have to do um periodic updates to adapt to new operating system updates um, to um, add, add features that users demand, just like dark mode, which is like the feature of 2019. Everyone has to add dark mode. And if you don't add dark mode, people will use another software and you lose money. But that, that only applies so, to software. So if we have a digital good like a game or a movie, like it is finished, that's true. That's then you true. just yes, that's copy true. it endlessly. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that... But it is an interesting topic to talk about the software than more specific. Um, but given, if, if, you, if you produce a movie and you're not protecting it at all, like somebody else can just copy it mm -hmm. and then sell it mm -hmm. as their own. Mm -hmm. So that is the, the, one of the core issues our world is currently facing and where a lot of people disagree and you have the big corrupt movie industry who wants to take down all pirates and all this stuff so it, there's a lot of a lot of issues coming with that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so That's true. so since since uh it is almost uh since it doesn't cost anything almost nothing at all how do digital companies keep their secrets, so to speak? So the the main um, the main thing to do is just to keep the source um, closed. So what this means is um, normally to build software, um, you you have source code and then you compile this source code into a program, but you can't just extract the source code from a program. So you can't just take, um, for example, Photoshop and like reverse, like reverse this transition from the finished product to the source code, make changes and then, um, then use it again. Um, in comparison to a chair, if I buy a chair, I can change the chair however I like. I can just cut off the feet, make it um, lower, and use it again. This is something that's not possible with digital products just because how computers work. 
So you can't just change the software. And this is a mechanism that's somewhat... Um, so this is the kind of side effect that wasn't intentional for this specific use case, but is now extensively used to protect a product from being copied. Well, you mentioned Photoshop. Yeah. And could you... Is it, is it easy to explain why why one cannot just take Photoshop and then change the magic uh, wand into a, a banana. So that you, you said you cannot just take it and adapt it because you don't have access to the source code, but why don't you have access to change it? How, how does it work then? So you... Normally, what, what you do, what companies do, they, they have their source code and they compile it into machine code, which is the language that your processor in your computer or phone understands and can execute. And these, these instructions, as they're called for the CPU, are so low level that it is really hard for a human to infer what this program actually does and what which sequence of instructions does exactly so it is not impossible especially in the in the field of uh, uh information security there there's a whole um whole own job that who only does exactly that is to take malware um which is compiled and don't have the source code for and somehow find out what it does by looking really closely at um, how it executes. And there's a special program um, for that that lets you kind of visually see these instructions and you then start um, uh, annotating what you see and trying to make a sense of all this gibberish okay, in front so of you. If, if we take a step back, I think what you're saying is you've got a programming language and that us humans understand, mm -hmm. but the computer doesn't understand it. Exactly. So you need a compiler that transform, transforms our language into the computer language and then you distribute the software only in the computer language. Exactly. So You said it perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so the machine understands what's going on now. But it's very hard for us then to go in and just change this wand to a banana, the icon or whatever, because we mm -hmm. don't know where we should change these sequences. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. So, so that's, that's the first thing that companies do. And as I mentioned earlier, yes, you actually can do the work and find out how something works, works to some extent. And because that is the case, and some people, especially with higher priced software like Photoshop, there are people who do that and somehow um, patch out the, the necessity to enter license key and then re-release this on the black market for a much lower price and kind of to circumvent the need to pay for the software. And that's where Adobe was like, huh, that's not cool. We're gonna implement additional um, security for our knowledge, um, which is then called DRM, Digital Rights Management. So instead of just passively obscuring, like naturally obscuring how the software works and what it does, it actively um, tries to find out if the software is running in kind of a parodic way and then locks you out or just won't work and stuff like that. So that's, that's also an interesting topic for maybe another time. <laughs> yeah. And because it also has great privacy implications. So it is very hard to fiddle around with the machine language, but people still do it. So it's not impossible. Because, yeah, it's not impossible. And like the gains can be very beneficial if you want to have a... Photoshop that doesn't cost anything, which you then want to distribute for a tenth of the price or whatever. So you could gain from another's work, but it's very complex. So oftentimes, I guess it doesn't, uh, it's not worth it 
fiddling with the machine part of the language? Well, th that's the in interesting thing that um, it, it actually isn't worth it. And so a lot of this software that gets, um, um, what's the, the like, semi-official, thanks, I was looking for the like, official term for that. <laughs> <laughs> so software that gets cracked, interestingly, is then distributed for free. So there are people out there that do it for fun, I guess, because they just like well, to see their world burn. Or I, don't no, know. No, no, <laughs> I think there are people who are like have extreme views in the sense of free software, and mm -hmm. they don't believe that software should cost anything. So, but yeah, I I, I don't know what their motives are really. Mm -hmm. That's just a guess. But okay. some may do it just for fun to prove it to. To prove they are good enough to crack Photoshop, probably, yeah, or, or games. I think the, the, yeah. the major thing is games here. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so it is a cat and mouse game, and like the company makes additional measures, and then the Definitely. those who want to crack it, they they try to circumvent those as well. So, how like when when we talk about digital monies and like the big corporations out there. How do they make money, for example, Google or Facebook? Because we don't pay them directly, do we? Mm -hmm. So when they're taking a shift from um, like a software company who, who sells their software to like an online service, exactly, which is um, a quite different thing um, because you never buy the product and like kind of own it. But you just pay for access to their servers, so you're. It's kind of like outsourcing um, a, a service, kind of. So if I if I use Microsoft Office, I well now with Office three sixty five, I do pay like a, f a subscription fee. But well, in the good old days, I just paid. I just went to like some store bought a copy of it, installed it on my PC, and I had um, this version of a um, document editor for like lifetime if I wanted to. Of course, that doesn't work because updates and stuff. Um, but nowadays we have this, we have Google Docs, for example, where we go online and the software doesn't run on our machines anymore. It runs in the cloud and it's free. So this is an, a very interesting shift on how we we do um, we do work on 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 devices nowadays. From, so from from personal on my computer where I pay for software to online in the cloud where it's often free. But can we mingle with that part as well? Or not? Like, what do you mean? With when when we buy Photoshop or Microsoft Word, like Microsoft builds the code which the programmers understand, and then it runs on our machine, and then there's this gibberish that language which we don't understand. But what's like? Can we fiddle around with the Google version in the cloud as well? N not at all. Like the thing. So we the 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 code. That that like executes our actions, our clicks and our our, our keystrokes doesn't even run um, on our computer, which is sended off everything to a remote server, and everything is there. So we 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 can't even we couldn't even reverse engineer, which is kind of the perfect protection for your knowledge, because you never give it away. So first we had. Um, your your like compiled code, then we have DRM, which is also a not perfect solution. But now we have the cloud where everything is online in on a server, and it's perfectly protected. So they protect your knowledge, um, like perfectly. But so then um, it's really weird because we don't pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what you're getting at, right? We'll get into that later. Okay, yeah, but okay. To summarize this, it's instead of running the software on your computer, 
which you or other hackers could fiddle around with, or like computer engineers, whatever. Don't want to call them hackers. <laughs> it's it's a negative term. Well, it depends but on. It depends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but people save that as a negative term most of the time. But anyway, instead of running the software on your local machine, companies now put all of that into the cloud, and the only interaction you get is via a web browser. Mm -hmm. So you have no way of inspecting the code or changing it or fiddling around with it and looking at what it really is doing. So that is like the perfect move for them to secure their knowledge. And yeah. Exactly. It's just like, like instead of buying a chair, I rent it, but I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even allowed to look at it. I could just sit on it. You can just close your eyes and you're allowed to sit. But, but I get, I'm not even allowed to look at it, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good analogy. And that, that, that makes, of course, from the company's perspective, this is a very good step because they secure their knowledge. But what is, what is the issue with this? What problems result from never getting to look at what goes on at a big corporation? So... The, the big problem is that um, is trust because before I had everything on my machine and I knew where my data was and I knew what happened to the keystrokes I sent to the program on my computer. Now I just send everything I type off to a server and I have really no idea what, what goes on there. And they have all the data and they can decide to like give it away to others. They can decide to well, delete it and just or like shut off my access to it. So I'm, I'm kind of unconditionally trusting this service provider to be a benevol benevolent and mm -hmm. yeah. let me use, let me graciously use their amazing cloud so it makes you um it requires you to absolutely trust this corporation and what they do with all all of the information that they gather exactly i'm fully dependent on them so if you have your journal on google docs like you could have it locally on with microsoft Word, but if you have it in google docs you like give them a lot of information of what happened this day or the previous week or whatever, mm -hmm. and you have no insight of what they will do with that data. Exactly. Yeah. So, of course, they have terms of service and they have a privacy policy and, and all that where they, of course, ensure me that, yes, they probably won't look at it and um, ensure that they won't share it with anyone and all that stuff. But that's still trusting, and I just can't know. And there's mm. no way to verify, actually. Exactly. And the thing is also, like, there are regulations from governments, but history so far has shown us that this power that they have has been abused time and time again. So we actually do see that it's being abused, and... It's it's gone. It's it's at a very. Uh, we're in a pickle in in one regard, because we have these huge corporations, which in theory, have to abide by rules from the government. Mm -hmm. But the government, it is very hard for them to look into these things because they have like this, uh, like indestructible. Barrier, so you cannot look behind. And which results in, yeah, a very strange situation, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's also that the, the, the complexity of the topic is challenging for governments. And there have been um, very interesting um, fines for violating privacy. So, for example, but this is more like in regards to hardware. So, 
I think it was Asus, who had a security problem with one of their routers. And then they were fined for that. And additionally, they were they are obliged to have an external company audit their their router. I think every two years for twenty years, which is an interesting approach for um, for the government to to ensure that something won't happen again in the future. But we have yet to see anything like that for um, cloud services. Yeah. Exactly. So the governments aren't really up to date as of now, and I think. If we, if we shift into the, the benefits, it is also obvious why customers love cloud uh, programs because you can just log in on your phone or log mm-hmm. in on your PC and everything is at the same state. Of course, so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't break. The cloud never breaks. Yeah, it, it always works. You never lose data. Well, <laughs> there, there are benefits to it. <laughs> in theory, yeah. But it, so it is very convenient for the users. So... I think, like the from from a user perspective, you see the benefits in cloud data, uh, cloud services, but you have been abused or your data has been abused time and time again. So, how do you trust an online comp- company? Is it isn't it like impossible to use online services then? Well. It- depends the technical answer is it depends on your threat model um, I guess that's, that's a, little, a little too far for now we'll, we'll take an yeah. easier approach to this <laughs> but, but the question is like you have these online services and they like they keep their secrets but there is a other movement where companies uh, offer online services but they are open about what they do so how does that work? So there are online services that um, open source the software that runs on their um, servers. What, what does that mean? So it means that um, going back to where we were before to having a source code and then compiling it into this um, computer language um, that you don't understand, they um, they like open source in the sense of they publish publicly, make available the source code, the language that we humans understand. So we can then look at exactly what this cloud server does and how it works, and we can to some extent verify. Um, that it respects uh, my my privacy. Of course, it's not as easy as that because I still have to. Um, while it probably they run this exact software on the servers, I don't know if what they publicly show me is the same as what actually runs on their servers. Okay, so. Getting back, there are like three steps. The first step is the human-readable code, yes. which the programmers <clears throat> develop. Yes. Then it's the computer that it gets compiled to, to the computer, and the computer executes it. Yes. And nowadays there's the third barrier, like the computer is in the cloud, so it's via the web it gets to the user. So what these companies are doing, they are very open about the first step, and mm-hmm. they show like, and it's also an easy step for people to fill around with and look at if it is mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. working. Mm-hmm. Because, but the second step that is like the part where they have to trust that the source code, which they are open about, is executed in the cloud, which then their user receives. Exactly. So okay. that's still there's there's no solution to that. We just don't know if if it really. If they really run exactly what they published on on their servers, yeah, that that is true. There, you can be suspicious about that as well, and I guess you should be. 
but it's a major improvement to what the big corporations like Google and Facebook do. It They're is. just like it close is. about all of it. Yeah, and it is. So it's, so that they can really um, find out what, what, how my data is handled and how, how this works. And this also creates a problem from them um, regarding competition because now every, every other company could um, look at the public published source code and say, hey, um, I think we want some of your market share and we'll just take your source code. <laughs> Duplicate it. And Duplicate bam. it. Um, get some servers, put it on there, and whoops, we have the same servers as you. Of course, you target the exact same target group, but you will find some way and some means to have um, customers switch to your service for whatever reason. Yeah, or they they you put a lot of money into marketing and then or they that. think you're the only service that, or exactly. the original service. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the it makes the situation for the company harder. Exactly. But it makes it better for the customer. So. With privacy in mind, it's very problematic to trust companies who are not open about what they do, who are close to us. And what do you do when you evaluate a new business? Like when you look at the business or look at the service, if, if you want to go back to having privacy, what are the key points you would, would be looking at? So the, the most important thing is, um, do, I, do I trust um, their intention? So do, do I trust them as, as humans? In the sense of, do I think that they act in my interest and they want to protect my data and they want to protect my privacy? Why is that the most important one? Because um, it fuels everything else. So if, if the most important thing for a company um, in regards to trust is to protect user data, then they will find ways to also execute what they believe in. And then the second step would, would be to evaluate how do they actually do it? So um, do, do they um, also open source to software? So, um, well, normally this goes hand in hand that when um, a, a company has trustworthy intentions that they also normally, normally they do um, open source the software, but not always. But then it goes much further in the sense of how do they execute um, this and undermine, um, well, um, how do they prove this trust to you in the sense of, okay, how do they manage their software? So they do have to prove something to you because from my perspective, of, of there, course are, they do. there are a lot of people who like the saying, show, don't tell. So there are people and Apple and Facebook and Google, they're all using this new buzzword, privacy is important. And I guess they convince some people, but in the end, they don't show it. They only talk about it. Exactly. So, but that's true. So both is important. But when, when someone, when, when a company doesn't tell me, hey, I care for your privacy, but then has privacy controls in their app I'm still suspicious like okay they have these features but are they just a mock yeah I guess, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so to, so to to like get practical the first thing is to what I do when I, I check out a company is I, I look at uh, what they communicate so what, what is their main thing they communicate? Do they tell me that they care for my privacy and then in detail, what, what does their privacy policy say? I guess it's something we can wrap up by saying it goes hand in hand. You have to 
as a company tell that you care about, but you also have to let your actions speak louder than your words. Exactly. So what you were going at, like only making actions doesn't build trust as much as also speaking about it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so back to the process of how you evaluate a business. So you look at what the company tells. Okay. Exactly. So look at the privacy policy. Yeah. And and see what what is tells me if it's short enough. If it's really long, I'm like, huh, this is suspicious already. <laughs> <laughs> if it's too long, um, and there are uh, services popping up um, in the last years that help you evaluate privacy policies and rate privacy policies. And I really hope that these services get bigger and bigger and cover a lot of services um, online. So their mission is like to translate this legal privacy policy into a human understandable way. Ish? Ish. Oh, yes. So the thing is, especially with GDPR, companies are already required to use normal language, understandable okay. language for the privacy policies, but still they're so extensive and normally user just wants to know a grade from one to five, how well do they protect privacy? And that's kind of the abstraction these services are aiming for. Okay, they're abstracting the privacy policy yeah. so into like, a number. Exactly. Okay. Or, or a rating like A, B, C, whatever. Yeah. Okay. So that that's where it all starts, and then, um, of course, one one of the major things is are they open source, because that's that's one of the main um, um, things in in executing um, their promise um, for privacy. If if this is one of the main things, isn't that a paradox in the sense that? A company wants to build trust by open sourcing their code, but then a copycat comes along and just duplicates them and it just makes them uh, go bankrupt. Yes, that's, 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 the, that's the problem with open source businesses and that's why it's so hard to, to run an open source business. And that's a problem that still hasn't being solved and we're still as a society in this process of hey how can we combine open source with a good business model and that that's that's really hard I think and but we're slowly we're taking steps and we're getting there with small steps it'll take mm -hmm. it'll take time and there are some um, I'd say pioneers in that area, um, which then explore business models that don't depend on this knowledge being closed source and not publishing the code. Okay, so, so you mentioned the business model, and do you is that a thing you evaluate as well when you look into a business? Definitely. So. Um, that so th the first thing is is always like what do they tell me? Um, uh, what what do they tell me? And then I try to guess what they are actually doing, and then okay. see if this matches. So, and the main thing, of course, is the business model because a company has to somehow survive, and they have to make money in order to like be a company, and. Um, the company, a company will, to some extent, always um, go in the direction where the money comes from. So you have to be very careful where the money comes from and what and how this changes the intentions and of the company and how it taints what they tell you. So, yeah, for, for example, with all these cloud services that are free. Um, it's really important to note where does the, the money come from and how does this taint this, um, this promise. And especially funny about Google, because Google says, well, um, if, you, if you trust us with your data, it, it's, it's going to be the most secure in the whole world. Well, yes, I approve of that except it will be most secure from everyone else, except 
for Google itself because what Google does is, well, their main business is running ads and they, of course, want to look at your data and try to figure out which ads you'll click and which ones you'll not click. So they, they secure the data in their silo? silo. Yeah, and, and yeah. they secure that, but it's still not, you're still trusting them. It, it's secure yeah. from everyone else. But except from them, yeah. except from them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when when they tell you, um, when Google tells you, um, yeah, we love privacy and we we don't share your data and we don't, um, and we don't like give your data away. Well, yes, that's true. Because they don't, they they care for your privacy. They don't give your data to other companies. I'm, I'm they not don't. even sure about that. But okay, well, but in principle, in principle well, that, yeah. that's what they what they promise. And so, if you take that, and then combine it with what their business model is, you you quickly see like what they actually mean when they tell you. Like we keep your data secure. Yeah, if if you follow the money and understand where the money comes from, you will understand their intentions. Exactly, yeah. and and that that's what I'm getting at is how do I figure out the intentions? And that's what I started also out with in the beginning. How do I somehow evaluate the intentions of a company? And a big part of that is what do they communicate themselves, combined with where does the money come from? Okay, I get that. It it was funny. Uh, when I think about how I evaluate businesses and you told, told a big part of your evaluation is what do they say? And for me, the question is even who are they? Because oftentimes I stumble over an app and it's like no information whatsoever. You only find a company name in the, in, in the subsection of the mm -hmm, page. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, I have no idea who this is. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to trust them. <laughs> I have no idea if they have VC money in the background. They're not open about that. So, yeah, it's for, for me, I agree on the point, what, what is their story? Mm -hmm. But you have to combine it with them being open source and them having a business model because otherwise it will corrupt them. Mm -hmm. in, so in one stage yeah so, so you, you mentioned um, other influences um, that's like also of course an issue where um, so the, the biggest influence I think is always where the money com comes from because that is where uh, a company will evolve to because they want more revenue and there are companies often have like hidden influences that you may not be able to see. So um, maybe a company has some kind of hidden agenda. Maybe you can infer something from where they're located. located. So depending on where, where they're um, incorporated, that may be something. But also this is, especially with VPNs, they just incorporate somewhere on the world and then... Um, later if someone finds out huh they're actually owned by this or that company on the other side of the world yeah and this is just a facade so um, it's really difficult to to um, evaluate and find all the influences a company um, is at and that, that's that's difficult it's really difficult to evaluate a company sometimes, if you trust them not sometimes you almost have to do the work uh, from a journalist, like mm -hmm. exactly, maybe even flying to the place they are incorporated, looking at the official register, who owns the company, and mm -hmm. all that stuff. It's, but that is that is a very detailed um, way to look at it, and it's I guess it's good as well. But if if we would sum this section off, like how to evaluate a business model, if you have a friend. And he or she doesn't know how to do this. What what would the main points be where you say, hey, just look out there? The main points. I'd say it's um well it depends on, on who who I I'd suggest this to. 
a privacy um, uh, somebody with privacy in mind okay well that's different to like a like generic person because I wouldn't expect someone like me on the street to like yeah care about that but care about privacy but so, somebody who okay who, who someone says, who cares about privacy okay yeah. that's important information <laughs> um, well I would um, I'd go for um, privacy policy business model and open source privacy policy I think that would be three business things model to check and open source Okay. Because especially with other influences and where they come from, that's difficult. So I wouldn't um, suggest that in like in the quick quick conversation. Maybe if like we get to talk longer, I bring this up later. Yeah, I, I guess. What what would you suggest? Like what 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 are your your three points? I usually only have two. Okay. And that is their business model and open source. Okay. So if there's this new hip chat app and they've raised 500,000 from an investor and they say, we are the new privacy app and it's free. And I'm like, yeah, but in two years when your money is burnt and you have this cool app with a hundred thousand users, how will you make money? You have to answer this question now before claiming that you're hip and that you care about privacy, that's just bullshit. So we should, I think we should clarify that. Um, no business model means equals selling data. <laughs> Is your business model, yeah. <laughs> just yeah. to be clear on that, just like a fallback. If there is no business model, that's it. <laughs> exactly. If you don't find a new business model, it's going to be you who is the product. Exactly. A hundred percent. That's the way things run nowadays. Yeah, I, I guess I guess we can wrap that section up. I, with that in mind, I wanted to talk about how did these things impact Safing as a company. Like, what are our, what are the consequences or the steps that we took to communicate these things? Or, yeah, the stage is yours. Can you clarify what, like, what you mean to commu like, communicate this? So how, do you mean how at the company we communicate our business model and what we... Well, this, this mindset and understanding the problem of not being open about uh, the source code led us to being an open source company. So the result, uh, we as a company we want to be open about this. We want to respect the user's privacy. So what actions did we take until now? Okay. So the, the really the main thing um, that we um, as a company knew like from day one was that we were going to be open source because this is a solution that I started to think about and develop because I myself wanted it. And when I choose um, products for myself, I want them to be open source. So it was clear, okay, I can just, I can betray my, my own, um, <clears throat> my own principles and make it closed source. Nobody will use it. So that was the one of the main things from day one was really clear to okay we we have to be open source and especially as a new player in the market and targeting the privacy community there just isn't any other option. Yeah, I feel like it's there's the saying fix your own shoes. Exactly. And you saw the need of uh, software that protects your privacy which is also open source and you didn't yeah so we chose that route and talking about the paradox what about the business model like couldn't anybody just copy us well yes but what we see what we see as our like um secure what's what kind of secures our our business model is that 
the software is, is really complex and it is open. So, which doesn't mean that we kind of it was obscure source code or something like that. Um, we don't. Um, everything is well documented and coded, but still the whole system as it is, is really complex and to not only to set up, but to run. And um, we... And that adds, adds that they are to improve as well. So it is complex to set up and it's complex to... to to continue, further improve yeah, yeah. and further scale and further exactly. make it better. To, to maintain it. So yeah. we, we believe that um, another company would have a hard time uh, just copying our stuff because they'd also have to maintain everything and improve it and um, roll their own infrastructure for it. And we think that is enough um, of, a, of a burden that a company won't just do this lightly and additionally, um, which is maybe even a bigger, um, bigger thing, is that we actively invest in a community and build build a community. So we we target privacy enthusiasts, um, which then get to know us, and they know who the original um, developers of this are. And they know who the trustworthy ones are, and I don't think it's that pos uh, that easy to, to like, copy, a software from someone else and then, um, look more trustworthy than them. Yeah, I guess our mark, our target group are skeptics and um, very thorough people look into software a good bit and since they care for privacy and since they have been uh, their expectations or their trust has been broken time and time again so they're very very cautious mm -hmm. whom they choose so somebody who would just come along and take our stuff and market it and he wouldn't uh, convince these people and then there's the 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 point uh, which we already said it's it would be complex to maintain and further develop mm -hmm. the software so exactly that is yeah so the the third thing to that is that um instead of just um having this um complexity to it is that we actively want the community to engage in helping us out with um, running this this network gate seventeen, and we want them to be part of it. So, with um, incentivizing them and paying them for their contribution, we further decrease the possibility that someone will um, not take the official route to make money, and like. Uh, add to network but we'll start a second um com com competing, competing network, network yes so i think we th this is an interesting topic as well and i think we will probably cover this in another episode but to shortly summarize it we are building a network and we want others to contribute okay. to further protect the privacy and we by making an official way to copy us and to or that, like, to contribute to our network it gets bigger people are rewarded and your data is being uh, getting more secure and yes. that is that is pretty exciting so yeah i'm looking forward to when when we can start this and a short note on the other things uh, we are open about our influences like where we get our money from even in the development stage we, I don't feel we do it, like we can further improve this and we are working on revamping our homepage to be even more clear about this. Again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been like... It's, it's a journey. A homepage it's, it's, is its own journey. Yeah. It's, <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah. or better said, c communication is really hard and it's its own journey. 
And exactly. it's all about how do we communicate what we believe in and what what we're doing. And we are not experts at communications. We're mm. not designers. We no, are more not. we are more developers. <laughs> so yes. it's it's exciting that we have our designer now. Maybe he'll come onto the show as well and then we'll talk about that aspect. But as you said, building a community is a big part uh, we focus on. So it would be cool if if you check out our subreddit. That's at r slash uh, slash saving. And I to wrap it out up for today. Thank you very much for joining, for explaining your perspective. It was really fun. Thank you for having yeah. me. So thank you for listening. And whenever you have input, just hit it up. So yeah, have a good one. Cheers. Bye.